You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. It is a fantastic day. You know why I can say that? Because anytime we get the opportunity to worship God and set our attention, our focus on God, that's a fantastic day. And you've made a decision today to be here, to be gathered online, surrendering yourself to God. And so it is a fantastic day. Well, this weekend, I I got to brag on you, and I just had to tell you about this. Uh, I had a friend who was coming through town with his family, and I got to connect with him. And you know, I have those brother-like friends. We've lived a lot together over these last 15 years, been through a lot of things. And it got to be my turn. You know how you tell about your family, tell about how things are going at job, talk about the kids. And it came to my turn. He's like, well, how are things at first? I said, they're great. I mean, this church is amazing. A wonderful group of people. The elders are outstanding. There's so many people that are using their gifts, stepping forward in leadership all across the board. It's a great church. And he said, that's great. And I said, but... We keep having to look for ministers. And, you know, he listened. He's like, oh, yeah, that's that's hard. It's hard to find ministers right now. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you know, Brady, would you rather trade bad ministers and a bad church and people that won't lead and won't volunteer and have a full staff? And I just started laughing. I was like, you know, I hadn't thought about that. And he said, it just seems like you're looking for more people to join in the ministry that's already happening at first. Don't you love that? You need people that speak into your life and help you see the goodness that's there. Well, I've been doing a lot of thinking about Jesus. And you say, okay, Brady, you're a minister. I'm really glad to hear that. We're relieved. I've been thinking about Jesus and his relationship with his brothers. People that were his physical brothers and those that he thought of as brothers. I don't know if you realize this, but his relationship with his brothers was not really all that great. Think about Mark 3, 21. Uh, His family gets wind of what Jesus is doing and saying, claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah, and they think he's cuckoo, loco. Mark chapter 3, they go to take control of him. They are at the door and they got to get control of the member of their family that's gone nuts. His family doesn't think that he has it together. And you might think that's just an isolated experience. That's just one thing that happened. Oh, no, no, no. In John chapter 7, verse 5, his brothers do not believe. Scripture says that. In fact, they, they ridicule him in John chapter 7 and they say, oh Jesus, if you want to be a prophet, you need to go on up to Jerusalem because that's where all the prophets go. That's what good prophets do. That's the kind of ribbing that Jesus gets from his brothers and his sisters. I, I mean, have you done this before? Are you the older brother that's kind of hoping that your sibling gets on the dentist's silly juice? so that you can pull out your camera and take some pictures? Yeah, Jesus, tell us again, you're the what? You're you're from God? Tell us a little bit more about that. 
I've been dwelling in this because of Jesus' patience with his own family and his patience with those that are around him. Because I've been thinking about this story of God for a long time. And by the way, you're to be commended. We're 10 weeks in. We've been racing through all of Scripture, looking at this unfolding drama of the story of God that's unfolding with every baby that's being born. When a baby is born, lives, and grows to adulthood and dies, that child is in a story already. The babies that are being formed right now, that are being nurtured in their mother's wombs, they had no say in it. There's no baby out in space raising their hands saying, it's my turn, I'm ready to be out there. They have no choice in the matter. They're drawn into this drama to a story that's already unfolding. And we've been watching this story as Adam and Eve are created by God, as a covenant promise is made to Abram and Sarah to bless all nations. And we've been watching, and we see that as Christians, as, as believers, as followers of God even, we're not all, that, not all that faithful. We reject God. We displace God with other gods. At times we even deny that there is a God and yet the story keeps being written. Written to the point where the pinnacle comes where God says, I'm entering this story. I'm coming in. Jesus as the Son of God. The pinnacle moment where God shows this story that I'm unfolding, I'm going to connect it to forever with human history. I'm going to place myself within human history. When we get to this point in the story of God, the disciples are kind of facing a new issue. How do you become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, when you can't see Jesus anymore? Because they're constantly looking at their clock saying, it's been a while since Jesus ascended into heaven. We thought he was coming back very quickly. And yet they're having to figure out what it is to follow Jesus on their own, with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And that's a difficult thing. Because when you can't see Jesus, there's really a big difference when that moment when you become a Christian, something that you can point back to, and the process of actually becoming a follower of Jesus, being a Christian. And that difference is quite difficult and quite striking, especially when you're waiting around for Jesus to show up. So I want you to pull out your Bible and turn to the strangest place that I've ever told you to turn, the table of contents. So if you have your smartphone, go to that place where you can see all of the scriptures and you have to choose the book. The table of contents. This is a strange place to go, right? Well, we've been looking at the story of God. So look at the New Testament and look at how it's broken up, how it's divided. Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the New Testament. Those are the Gospels, the story about Jesus. Acts, the acts of the Holy Spirit as revealed the Apostles. And then you get Paul's letters. Do you see Romans all the way down through Philemon? Ordered by the size of the book. Isn't that an interesting way to arrange books? For the most part, biggest to smallest. And then, where we're at today, from Hebrews, James, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. These are the epistles that are written that are not by Paul. They are general or Catholic. Not in the sense of the Catholic Church, but in the sense of the word Catholic as universal. 
Because at this point, they're a little bit older. The church has been forming. It's in this embryonic state, and it's having to figure out, well, how do we do business as a church? How do we organize ourselves? What does it look like? Don't we need to fill out our information in the directory so that we have good contact info? You know, just basic organizational things that show up. As you look at the table of contents, the oldest things that we have there are Paul's epistles. Those came first. The next is the Gospels. And then the newest thing, the thing closest to us, are these general epistles of what it looks like to provide broad description for the church. Now the background of this, some things are going on. In A.D. 70, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. The emperor Nero's son Titus goes to take over Jerusalem during the Great Revolt, where the Jews were revolting. And they wanted to get all of the the Jews out of the temple. They were still thinking of that as like a safety fortress. They couldn't get them out, and so they just pulled the whole thing down, burned it, pulled the stones apart, and it's gone. No more sacrifices. No more place to go and worship. Still today, you can go to the Wailing Wall, which is just one section of the wall that remains today that people pray towards in Jerusalem. Whenever you have an event like that, where the center of your worship is pulled apart, things change all over again. In A.D. 90, the Pharisees, are kind of the last remaining sect, form a council called the Council at Jamnia. And they get together to figure out a different way to go about worship since they can't sacrifice. And they decide to gather up the books of the Hebrew Bible and put them into order. And they have a couple of ways to, to mark this. One of, one of them is, It has to be written in Hebrew, the language Hebrew. And if you're looking at your table of contents, then again, the Old Testament, as it's laid out, they say, you know, after Ezra and Nehemiah, that's where things were going to stop historically in terms of the prophets. The Old Testament is laid out Genesis through Deuteronomy as the Pentateuch, Joshua all the way down through the Chronicles as historical books, and Ezra and Nehemiah. And then Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the wisdom literature. And then finally, from Isaiah down to the tiny little prophet at the end are all the prophets. The major ones that are the big ones and the small ones. So this council puts together the Hebrew Bible and that is how they arrange it. Christians, if you talk about first century Christians and their scripture, do you know what it was? It's the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew Bible. It's not the New Testament. It takes till the 4th century before all of those documents are gathered up and collected. This group of people begins as Jews with a sect of Christianity to begin to move into separate directions where Christians still see themselves as Jews. And yet Jews say, I don't know that you're Jews anymore. Maybe most exclusively because you're including the Gentiles. You're including people outside of the original promise of God. Okay, take a deep breath here. Let's move us back to people. I want to tell the stories. The stories of some of these brothers or near brothers of Jesus. And I want to look at several of them. First of them is one called the beloved disciple. John. 
And looking at John, he, he, is, he is one who lived the longest. He is one who everyone referred to as the beloved disciple. And one who, I think you will see by this first reading, it lives up to what his name is. Look in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Listen to how many times you hear the word love. Beloved, let us love one another. Because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. And God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. I mean, these are going to be some passages that I'll give you that are worthy of your memorization. They're worth putting deeply into your hearts. Some of you have already memorized 1 John 4, 7 and following. That is a great place where we hear this message. Live in love. John was one of Jesus' prayer partners. He had this inner circle of three. And John saw Jesus in many occasions pray. He saw Jesus enact ways of love. I mean, this is our birthmark as Christians. This is the characteristic that we're to be known by. It's our last name and our first name. People in the world should look at us and say, oh yeah, those are the love people. Those are the people that love God and they love others. That is the defining characteristic of who we are. I'm thankful to John because he gives us something that helps organize how we run our family, organize how we run our business, even how we treat other parents at PTA meetings. Live in love. Okay, another near brother of Jesus in this inner circle of three is Peter, the rock. Rocky. Now, Peter is one who is a very type A personality. He's outspoken. He's writing these letters, 1st and 2nd Peter, late in his life, and it comes with seasoned wisdom that kind of makes me smile a little bit. Look at 1st Peter chapter 1, verse 13. I want to read a few verses from this letter that he wrote. Peter writes in 1.13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Now that sounds like Peter. Discipline yourselves. Now that doesn't sound like the early Peter. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when He is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as He who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter says, very frankly, be holy in all your conduct. And even sometimes Christians, we bristle at that, like, I don't want to be holier than thou. Well, good, because we don't need more people in the world who have that kind of an attitude. Christians don't need to be known as the holier-than-thou people, right? Because in, whenever we're saying it in that way, it's looking down on other people who are not as holy as you. And we don't want any part of that whatsoever. Holiness, for Peter, began in the heart and it very quickly was action. He acted based upon his faith in Jesus. Now, those are two of Jesus' close prayer partners. There's a third one. 
in this inner circle of prayer, and his name is James. But we're not going to talk about that James. We're going to talk about a different James. Believe it or not, even in the first century, there were people that shared the same name. And this James that we're going to talk about is an actual brother of Jesus. And we're going to look at James chapter 1. And this brings us back to all this discussion about Jesus and his brothers and what they actually thought of him. You know? Hey, I'm the Messiah. Hey, I'm the Son of God. All of these things that I think would mean they would want to grab Jesus around the neck and give him a head burn and say, come on, quit talking crazy talk. These people who didn't believe in him and yet changed. James became a pillar in the church. More influential than Peter or Paul in those early days. He was a part of the Jerusalem council. And I have to wonder, what happened? What happened? And surely, as he writes a letter after he's become a pillar in the church, he's going to like throw out some credentials, you know, kind of name drop. Look at James chapter 1. Let's just see if he says, the brother of Jesus. Wouldn't that be a good thing to be able to say? James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. What? He doesn't even say it at all. He says, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing to me. What happened? If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, there is that description from Paul about the tradition of him being given, of Jesus being born, lived, died, and resurrected. And he appeared to a number of people, including in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, James. Now, I know we talked about Paul and the stunning vision that Paul had when Paul was going to persecute Christians, but think about James as one of the first that Jesus appears to. Hey, bro, what's up? I wonder what that was like. You appear to your brother and say, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm the Son of God. I am the Messiah. That's what makes a brother go from ridiculing you to seeing you in a completely different light that you are the Son of God. Now, we can't try this at home, can we? No. It doesn't work like that. This is a one-off deal. This is the way Jesus is able to deal with these that he grew up with. And James writes in the style of Jesus. He writes like it's the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, did you catch it in the second verse? To be faithful through suffering, to let endurance be a virtue. It's not the way we think about our job or church or our families. We don't want those trials. We don't want those difficulties. And yet, that is where we learn faithfulness. Persecution's going to come. And it comes to James. He is martyred in A.D. 61. Killed because he was a pillar. He was a leader in the Christian church. And they knew he was the brother of Jesus. And they knew the transformation of his life. Another brother, Jude. We don't think a lot about Jude. He only 
is credited with these 25 verses at the end of the New Testament. In fact, we usually want to jump on to Revelation, right? The Apocalypse of John, which we're going to do next week, right? That's our whole focus for next week is Revelation, one Sunday. With Jude, surely he is going to name drop Jesus. I, I bet it's there, right? Let's just look. James, or Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Oh, to those who are called and beloved in God the Father and kept safe for Jesus Christ. He does the same thing. James. He's a brother of James, but not a brother of Jesus. He calls Jesus Lord and Master. He knows what his real relationship is with Jesus. The Master of the universe. The one that brings all things together. And Jude is often known for that verse about contending for the faith. That a lot of times we say to protect traditions, protect the faith. But if you look closely at Jude 3 and 4, it's about protecting the grace of the living Jesus Christ. Because what happens quickly with Jesus is that He is no longer a person who was the Son of God, but He becomes a doctrine, a teaching. That you can say, I either affirm that or I don't affirm that. And Jude says, no, no, no. This is the living Lord, Master, and Christ, and Messiah. Protect that grace that was given to us from God the Father. Which brings us to our last one. One that I don't want to spend too much time with. It's an anonymous book called Hebrews. It is a sermon. We don't know who this anonymous brother or sister was. You know, sometimes people think it's maybe a woman that wrote it because couldn't put her name on there during that time. You can't know these things. But it's a long, flowery sermon full of Old Testament quotes. In this time when Jesus is invisible, Hebrews comes to encourage Christians who are discouraged, who are feeling down and feeling like it's taking too long. And God, in this story, is the hero. And the way Hebrews unfolds is to point up God is the hero through all of these covenants. And he, the, the writer, he or she, points out the covenants that we broke. Adam and Eve were created in the garden and told, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do we do? We eat. Noah, protected in the ark, the rainbow, was given as a promise. God says, I'm not going to destroy the world like that. Now don't murder and don't eat blood. Oops, how many of you had a rare steak lately? Well, how many of you murdered? No, don't raise your hand on that one, please. I'd have to turn that one in. That covenant, the covenant with Abram, the covenant with Moses in Exodus 19, the covenant with David to allow David to be always, an heir of David to always be on the throne if you walk before him with all your heart. Or even the new covenant that Jeremiah promised. One of my favorites in Jeremiah 31, 31, where Jeremiah looked forward to the day when God would not put a covenant written in text, but a covenant written on our hearts that we would all, from the least to the greatest, know God and come towards God. To the covenant that Jesus gave in His blood. People being justified by faith. All of these covenants we were not able to fulfill. They all point us to what Christ did. And they're just a sketch. They're just a piece of what life in Christ looks like. 
Was there a problem with God in any of these covenants? Was the fault with God or the flaw with God? No. It's our unfaithfulness to live up to these covenants. And that is met with God's faithfulness, where He steps in where we fall. I do want you to look at one last passage. This will be the last one I'll read for today. It's in the end of Hebrews, chapter 13. And I'm just going to read two verses, verse 15 and 16. Through Christ, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hebrews culminates by looking at all those old covenants, all the old sacrifices, and saying, what you need to give is the sacrifice of the fruit of your confession of Christ. Sacrifice of praise and thanks. A sacrifice of doing good in the world. All right, we all need to take a deep breath. We looked at all these brothers that are both half-brothers and spiritual brothers that Jesus had. You see, the people that hung around Jesus, and what I'm struck by is these brothers were transformed and changed. I mean, I'm obviously thankful for the the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm, I'm thankful for the teachings of Jesus. I think those are all transformative. I'm thankful for the way He embodied God's love. But today, in this story, thinking about these brothers, I'm thankful for the way when Jesus comes into people's life, He changes them, transforms them, pulls them in profound ways closer to God, helping us to live in love, helping us to be holy. Help us to see that faith is about endurance through suffering. And having the grace to embrace the living Jesus, that He is alive. Here at First Christian, I hope that you're seeing that this journey of following Jesus is not something we do alone. We don't just memorize a bunch of things. We don't just come to a particular place. We are in this together. It's a community adventure. And Jesus was committed to those that He was around in His physical life in the same way that He is committed to us today in a spiritual sense, presence with us, providing healing and insight and welcoming us into our everyday lives. That our being with Jesus means we kind of act differently at the work that we have. We act differently around our family members. We act differently when we make decisions about how to spend our money. And we do that because we're in a community of people that are following Jesus. Well, I hope that this journey through looking at Jesus through the lens of these brothers provides insight for you living in Christ as your brother. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your work in our lives through Jesus, for your presence in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And we pray that we will see the humanity and the divinity of Jesus and the ways that He dealt with His physical brothers and His apostle brothers and the way that has impact on our life today. God, I ask that You hear the prayer, the cries and the prayers of our heart today. 
And we ask this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit as one God now and forever. Amen.